Hello and welcome to HIV Matters Podcast. My name is Michelle Croston and as your host I will be facilitating interesting conversations with leading experts in the field of HIV care. The conversations will be centred around exploring ways to improve quality of life for people living with HIV. Throughout my career I've always had a keen interest in any initiatives to improve outcomes for people living with HIV which has led me to work with a variety of different organisations, with different healthcare professionals and activists. Here at HIV Matters, we hope to use our unique perspectives and platforms to improve knowledge and understanding with regards to HIV. In order to do this, we will engage in conversations with people living with HIV, people who have worked in the HIV sector, and sometimes a mixture of both. We hope you enjoy the episode and if you have any ideas or questions on this or future episodes, please contact us at hello at hivmatters.co.uk. You can also follow us on Instagram at hivmatterspodcast or visit our website at www.hivmatterspodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and comment on our show. Today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Winnie Serena. Winnie has been involved in HIV activism for over 30 years and throughout this time she's been involved in numerous projects that have raised the quality of life for people living with HIV from African communities. Winnie is a freelance international development consultant based in London and mainly works in healthcare projects in black communities across the UK and sub-Saharan Africa. Winnie has 20 years experience as a HIV treatment activist and highlights the impact of treatment on women living with HIV. Winnie has been on various treatment boards and advocacy boards throughout her activism and she also started the first group for black positive men and women in the UK to encourage them to actively engage in research, activism and reviewing of policies. I'm absolutely blown away every time I get to read and learn a little bit more about women. She's also got a wonderful TED talk which I happen to stumble across um, because Winnie is also very modest as you will see as we talk through our podcast together. I will put the TED talk in our show description for our guests. Also what Winnie will not tell you but as a um, somebody who has had the privilege of working with Winnie for the past 12 months will tell you that Winnie is one of the most influential black activists within the UK and it gives me great pleasure to introduce Winnie today. If you haven't already gathered I am a huge fan of Winnie and the work that she does and the energy that she puts out in the world. So thank you Winnie for joining us on today's podcast. So thank you for agreeing to take part in the show today and thank you for all the behind the scenes support of the podcast. It's been very much appreciated. So welcome to the podcast today, Winnie. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. I'm delighted you agreed to join us. So Winnie, I'm mindful that I've just read your bio out and I probably haven't done your career any justice. And I'm aware that you've worked in the HIV field for some, some years now and you've agreed to talk to us today about HIV and ageing. For our listeners, I'm wondering if you could please describe the HIV landscape 
um, when you first got involved in HIV care and what treatment was it like or care and support during this time? Well, I first got involved uh, in HIV uh, when I was diagnosed um, when I was 27 years old. I was living in North America at the time. I knew very little about HIV and and I think it's fair to say that doctors, general populations and everybody else was learning, you know, what was happening with HIV. Um, so during that time, there was no living with HIV. Uh, it was, you get HIV, you die, and you die very quickly. So it was a very scary time. And in North America, many of the people who were getting HIV were men. So for the healthcare workers to see a woman with HIV, they were, you know, um, surprised. They had lots of questions. I felt like I was being interrogated uh, because they were keen, of course, to learn why HIV was affecting women and, you know, well, as it's normally affecting men. And I think it was all, you know, a learning curve for, for everyone. But it was also quite a scary time because if you caught something and they told you you're going to die very quickly, you get scared. Two weeks into my diagnosis, I was offered AZT. And that is Zidovudin, the first antiretroviral treatment that was being, uh, you know, tested, you know, and I think it was uh, on a sort of like, a, um, a, well, on being on a, on a sort of trial basis, you know. So I said, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well try something, you know what you know the end result is going to be the same so anyway when i started on this treatment i was told it was going to prolong my life for a few months up to a year to the most or at the most rather and i thought well let me take it i soon discovered that not so very joyous uh, side effects of AZT, uh, which were really, really horrendous. I wasn't a very, um, I was very thin at the time, even before HIV. Uh, and when I started taking uh, AZT, I lost my appetite. I felt like I wanted, you know, I felt nauseated constantly. I, my skin color changed to ashy black, my nails, my, my fingernails, my toenails all changed to black. And I literally felt like, well, I didn't feel great. 
at any point. I felt terrible all the time. And I couldn't eat properly. And the mixture of stress, because I hadn't talked to anyone about my, my HIV diagnosis at that point. Um, and the HIV, uh, you know, the HIV, the thought of dying, the medication, the mixture of all that really, really stressed me out. But I'll tell you what was really um, interesting. Um, at that particular time in North America, there was this obsession about exercising, about losing weight. There was the Jen Fonda videos, the Olivia Newton-John videos. Everybody was into those and wanted to look like them. I'll tell you right now, I had so many people stop me on the streets when I was literally having my meltdown inside of myself with my AZT and people asking me, mostly white women asking me what I did to stay so thin. I had the guts to, you know, to respond to some of them and said, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not healthy. Gosh, well, thanks for sharing that with me. That seems to be, that's really powerful, isn't it? You're there dealing with all this inner turmoil, but yet from the outside people are aspiring to look a certain way based on, I remember those Jane Fonda rads, I can see those leotards and yeah, just people don't don't see, they only see what they want to see, don't they? Exactly. And also the thing is that, you know, a lot of people were unaware of HIV and how it impacted, you know, anybody else for that matter, because we, you know, we were being told certain pieces of information that it was among a certain group, it was among people who did certain things, it was this and this and that, you know. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a lot of misinformation. Um, but I, you know, I left um, North America in the mid-1990s, and literally because at that point I was actually taking uh, two drugs. Um, I was taking DDI and AZT, and they were both horrific, you know. But I had stayed alive longer than they had told me I was going to stay alive. And I thought I needed to try it. But uh, I got so fed up. I got so stressed out. And I basically left North America to go back to my ancestral home in Uganda to die. Because I was exhausted physically, emotionally, and totally drained. And when I arrived in, um, in Uganda, that was the first time I uh, shared my diagnosis with my sister. My sister was the first person that I shared my diagnosis with. She was very good at not looking shocked. 
<laughs> and uh, she promised me that she would support me and she would care for me because she had she knew people who were HIV positive in Uganda and she knew where to access treatment. And that was really fantastic to hear because I had had so many stories of people who were ostracized, people who had been rejected. And at that point, I really had very few family members because my dad had passed away, my mom had passed away, I had lost a brother to HIV and only had three siblings left at that time. Well, it sounds like a massive journey when you're from diagnosis to you know, being given a year to live and going back to Uganda. Do you think having that family support made that difference for you? Because you mentioned about going back to Uganda to die, basically. And I'm just wondering how how impactful was it receiving that support from your sister? Receiving the kind of support that I got from my sister was, uh, was huge, was, was a turning point for me. Um, and I don't even think my sister realized that, you know. And maybe one of these days I need to tell her that. Uh, because we don't sit down to talk about HIV at all, even though she doesn't mind talking about it. But I, I just realized now that I should talk about that and tell her that it was her support that really helped my life to turn around from thinking about dying to possibly leaving. Um, I spent two years in Uganda. Um, my medication ran out uh, that I had left North America with. I got TB, I got pneumonia, I got diarrhea, and I literally nearly got my wish of dying. But for a person who had wanted to die, um, I was also a person who had been accessing healthcare a lot in North America and knew exactly how my body was feeling whenever I was getting something, getting sick. So I was able to pay for private care to actually um, treat all of these opportunistic infections quite early on. And I believe that the combination of the support that I got from my for my sister, having the money to pay for private care, uh, my experience of living, you know, uh, in North America, and and luck, literally, and luck helped me to be able to overcome those opportunistic infections and be able to survive. Um, especially the diarrhea that would not stop and literally dehydrated me to a point where I was real thin. When you're listening to your story, you know, from, from going, being so young, being diagnosed at a time where treatment was limited, thinking about, as you've just mentioned, all those opportunistic infections that you experienced and the diarrhea, 
you know, I can't begin to imagine how, how bad that must have been and the impact that had on you. So it's hard to believe that kind of, what are we 40 years on now? Or nearly 40 years on <laughs> within the HIV epidemic. Sorry, guys, I'm not trying to age win it. Um, she's looking at me and smiling. I'm not adding years to this beautiful lady. But it feels like, you know, we, we as a disease area, we've moved 40 years on. So it feels like we should pause a little minute now to just think, gosh, you know, how bad things were back in the start. As you mentioned, healthcare professionals not really understanding inquiring all the time about why it was affecting certain people and you've mentioned and that under that interrogation so I'm just thinking what does it mean now for you to be aging with HIV well um no offense Michelle but I absolutely dislike the word aging <laughs> so do I <laughs> because it makes me feel much, much older than I am. Uh, it almost has this stigma to it of, you know, you're aging and your life is going one way, which which is something that I don't like. So I would like to think of as getting older with HIV would be the best phrase to use. Um, I never imagined myself you know, being 61 years old and living with HIV from 27 years old to 61. I, I would never have imagined that. I arrived back in the UK in 1996, and that was when the antiretroviral therapy was, you know, had been initiated the combination therapy that everybody you know now can well most people in the world can benefit from uh when i arrived in the uk um in the mid 90s um i had no intention of of uh, staying in the uk to access this treatment i had just arrived from africa to to have a break from all the opportunistic infections that, you know, uh, that I had been suffering from. And I went to, you know, get a checkup um, at Newham General Hospital. And I was told I had one CD4 count. And I was on the verge of literally dying. And I had full-blown AIDS which is the first time I heard the word, well, the phrase full-blown AIDS being referred to me. And that really was another moment in my life where I'm thinking, okay, this is it. It wasn't until I went to a support group uh, during that time that I was in the UK, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a break from my life in Uganda, and that is what, you know, turned my life around. Again, uh, seeing other people talking about HIV and, you know, and talking about the benefits they were getting from the combination therapy. And I sat there and I thought, I want to be like those women. I want to live again rather than focus on dying. If they can live, I can live. 
and that started my almost new journey into HIV treatment because I wasn't I wasn't satisfied just taking the treatment. I volunteered to learn about every single treatment that I was putting in my body. I volunteered to support others about what the treatment was doing in their body, how things were working and advocacy and, you know, changing negative HIV policies, you know, all of that. So I just dove in into activism when I arrived in the UK in 1996. Sounds like the, the support that you received um, from the communities really propelled you in your kind of activism. One of the things that I'm aware that you have been involved in, and we touched on this um, in a pre-conversation, was a project called Grows for Women Living with HIV were growing older, wiser and stronger. And I really like this idea of kind of the growing older, wiser and stronger. Because definitely as I look in the mirror, I think to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm growing older. I'm not sure I'm getting wiser though. So for our audience, are you able to share anything about this project? Well, I think this is a much needed project, um, looking at, you know, women living with HIV and, you know, and all of the different other elements uh, in their lives, you know, around dealing with menopause, around dealing with, you know, with, with brittle bone, you know, disease or conditions, around issues that impact on women who are getting older um, just in general but also how that intersects with HIV you know and it's not just about the health it's also about the economics it's about the social aspect it's about you know almost the holistic aspect of, of, of women's lives uh, I was involved in the initial aspect of it in the research around what are the themes that uh, you know should be discussed mostly what are those that should be focused on what should be done and what has happened since is uh, themes have been you know um, identified in terms of where to focus you know uh, the education around menopause and around different other aspects of social lives that people need to know and for me I've really been fascinated with menopause because I have one question I have one question when somebody asks me about menopause, I say, why didn't anyone talk to me about menopause before it hit me? Yeah, why do we wait? Why do we wait until we're having all these symptoms and think, what's wrong with me? I, it took me about six months to realise that menopause and all of these um, you know, um, different aspects, uh, hot flashes were happening to me. The penny dropped as I sat on my desk at work when I was working for an organization, which I'm going to mention, Christian Aid, and I was sitting at my desk. I was dripping wet. 
I was anxious. I had been really, really like prickly, you know, I was, you know, and then it dawned on me, I thought, I am 50 years old and this is menopause. Six months, you know, it took me. And this had been happening to me for, you know, sometimes, you know, especially when I was anxious. And, and I thought, really, this happens to every woman and I'm just knowing about it now. Not my mother, not my aunts, not my, you know, not anybody. Talk to me about this. So for me, I really think that it's important that when we are looking at programs, especially programs that are identified as empowering for girls, empowering for women, let's talk to girls about sex, about menstruation, about menopause, so that they're able to access the care and support they need uh, before, you know, it's too late. I could have accessed HRT before, maybe, maybe five years before actually menopause hit, but because I wasn't aware, I was not able to access HRT. By the time I was ready to access HRT, I was worried about it. I was learning more about it. And, you know, I, ha I, I went to a healthcare provider that wasn't very helpful. I delayed. And by the time I really wanted to access it, I was told that if you access it after 60 years old, there are all of these other risks that you're going to endure. So listening to you, Winnie, it feels like we need to get better um, as a society, as a culture, at talking about menopause and talking about these big life events that ha hit women. I know in some traditions they refer to this as the second summer of people's lives, which I kind of, I like the idea of, because I think sometimes we can think of menopause in a negative way. Um, and I think it's through having conversations and really empowering conversations like we're having today that helps kind of switch that narrative around the importance of menopause. And yeah, I'm wondering for for our listeners with regards to this aspect of their lives, have you any advice that you may want to give them? Well, I just, um, you know, build on what you just said about the second summer. And I think in the Chinese tradition, it's called the second spring. Oh, wow, even better. <laughs> yeah. I know. I love the second spring even better. Um, I really do think that when we are chatting about menopause, we need not only to focus on the negative aspects we need to say what is it that people you know what is it that menopause has to offer in terms of your health in terms of you know your life i mean there are a lot of different things you know 
Because when I talk about menopause now, even though I really still feel angry that nobody talked to me about it before it hit me, I am I feel very empowered at the moment. I don't feel depressed because I'm literally postmenopausal at the moment. Uh, I think that's what you know uh, being sixty would be referred to as. But I I've found like a, almost a new sense of of self. Uh, I feel even more empowered than I've ever been. Um, I care so much about myself. I really focus on 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 moments that you know are fantastic for me. I am um, I'm very self assured, and uh, and I'm bonding with other women who are menopausal like me, and we have a ball. We have great times. We have amazing social lives, and and you know, and uh, and enjoy others' company. So there are all of these things, and I know everybody is different, but you have to find that sort of, um, you know, new journey for yourself, uh, because every single woman, if they stay alive long enough, are going to go through menopause. If you're going through menopause, first of all, you're lucky to have got older. Because there are many places where women don't even get to the age of 50. So just to be able to be alive, uh, going through menopause, even have HIV, you know, when I wasn't supposed to be here. So for me, it's, you know, what's not to like? When you reframe it like that, yeah, you're right. You know, growing old is a privilege um that not many get to do so thank you for for raising that with our listeners today and um, yeah it's definitely made me smile about and um, thinking about the positive aspects of our next chapter in our life so we alluded to it um briefly about the different comorbidities people living with HIV are experiencing as they're growing older. I'm just wondering from your perspective, what do you think the next chapter of growing older with HIV will look like for women? I think, as you said, Michelle, we need to keep talking about this, Uh, not just to older women, to younger women, uh, to make sure that they access uh, the services that they need um, to make sure that we have an input into continued research around, you know, menopause, around, you know, treatment, um, you know, even just for HIV, because we are still we are still on this road where HIV is still with us. Yes. We are at a point where we have the undetectable equals untransmissible, uh, where a lot of us are suppressed enough not to pass on HIV, which is almost like a cure, but there is so much more that needs to be done 
because uh, as women, our bodies are different, you know, and and within that, you know, because of of our ancestry, you know, uh, even you know, women are not a homogeneous group, you know, we are all different. So there's more research that needs to be done in terms of how, in terms of why certain groups of people get certain things and others don't, and and this, you know. So there's so much to advocate for. There isn't enough support for us out there. And I believe that ma the majority of women living with HIV in the UK are probably above 40, you know, and under 70, you know, in that age group, you know. So it really is important that we continue to talk and to input into research and to see how people's lives can be better. Um, you know, especially the thing that we haven't talked about or I'm actually trying to avoid talking about because it deserves like podcasts of its own stigma around HIV that impacts on, on lives of people so much in so many different ways thank you for raising that when we are going to we it's a theme that comes up often in hiv matters you know the impact of living with stigma or you know hiv stigma in healthcare facilities and you mentioned that very at the very start of our kind of podcast about healthcare professionals wanting to understand a little bit more about hiv but something that can be intrusive and i guess from your point of view, if there was a message that you could give to any of our listeners with regards to the best way to approach kind of stigma um, for people living with HIV, what might that be? I know that's a big, a big ask. So what, what little things can we do to help reduce stigma? It's through talking about these issues. It always starts with talking about these issues. Um, and people asking questions about things that they do not understand. Um, there are so many varieties of, of, of ways that people receive information, you know, nowadays. And that's a privilege too. You know, people can listen to podcasts, people can Google things, which, you know, has its limitations, but it also, you know, you can educate yourself and then unpack things, you know, with professionals elsewhere. Um, there's so much, but it starts with asking questions, with talking, and for us as people living with HIV, also sharing our experiences, is, I feel, is really important um, because in, in specific cultures, um, you know, apart from not talking about HIV, menopause is still a no-no, you know. And so it is really, really important for us to keep asking the right questions and then talking and getting the right information and advocating for better treatment, not just for us to, you know, to take, but in terms of being treated socially, you know, and otherwise. 
Thank you, Winnie. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and reflections on our podcast today. Now it's time for the show that I really enjoy. I love all our conversations, but this is the time where we get to know you a little bit better. So I was wondering, for our listeners, can you share something that you do as part of your self-care? Wow. I have at least one cup of coffee a day. Coffee is amazing, (laughs) I think. (laughs) So I advocate for that. I also love reading. You know, I get lost in books and... uh, and really enjoy that. Um, Growing up, uh, I didn't read a lot. So I found reading as an adult amazing. And I wish I had done more of it as a young person. And I also, one of the things that I really love, I love planning and traveling to different places. I love traveling. And I'm fortunate enough that my work involves traveling. So when I travel, I always, you know, add on days for pleasure. And, you know, and I mix work and pleasure. And it is fantastic. I feel like I have, you know, the best life sometimes. And I really enjoy it. That's wonderful. Thank you. You mentioned reading as a a great source of pleasure for you. Could you share with us a book that you may be reading at the moment? I am currently reading a book that I suggested in my book club, uh, which is called um, In Every Mirror, She's Black. And uh, it is by a Nigerian-American author. And I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce the name, so I apologize in advance. So it's Lola Akinmade Akistrum. And um, it's really interesting. It's very interesting. I recommend it. Thank you. I will definitely be checking that one out. So thank you so much for that. And finally, um, if you had a magic wand and time, resources and money weren't an issue. What would you like to change or seem done differently? I would like to invest in um, mentoring, training for, for young people. Talking to them about the things that the real life things that they're going to go through. As I hinted, you know, uh, before, I would like talk to them about sex, talk to them about menopause, talk to them about HIV, talk to them about everything uh, in an environment where they can understand it, where they can learn, not in a scary way, um, and, you know, and not focus on the theoretical stuff that they will never use. That's where I would invest my money. Brilliant, Winnie. That sounds like a great investment of money, resources and energy. So thank you so much for joining me today on our podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing this time with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Michelle.
Thank you to today's guest and to you for listening to this episode of HIV Matters. I don't know if you're anything like me and are busy writing down the lovely book suggestions made in our show. That's why HIV Matters have teamed up with bookshop.org to bring all these fantastic books to you in one unique place. To find out more about this and how to access the bookstore, please check out today's show descriptions. Today's edition of HIV Matters has been brought to you via an unrestricted educational grant from Vive Healthcare and Gilead Sciences. Gilead and Vive have had no input into guests or topics. HIV Matters is the official podcast of the National HIV Nurses Association. For more information about the National HIV Nurses Association, head over to www.nivna.org. Thanks again for listening to our show. We hope to see you next time and together we can make a difference.